0: This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast episode 61, Less is More, Gentle is Advanced. For this episode, I sat down with Jay Brown. Jay is a yoga teacher, writer, and podcaster himself. He is at the forefront of a quiet yoga revolution based in healing that seeks to change the dialogue and direction of yoga practice in the West. His writing has been featured in Yoga Therapy Today, the International Journal of Yoga Therapy, and across the yoga blogosphere. His podcast is internationally renowned for raising the level of conversation around the practice. As always, on my end, I really appreciate your support with this podcast, whether it's through reviews or through Patreon. And now on Patreon, you have three different options to show your support. On the first tier, you get access to more content, so one exclusive episode every month, and that might be a tutorial, a guided meditation, a pranama, a flow. And on the second and third tier, you get access to some or all the classes I've been recording on Zoom and continue to record during this shelter-in-place. So if you'd like to have access to all of this and or you just like to show your support, Uh, in the creation of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a premium member on the tier of your choice. Now, before we get to today's episode, I have one last announcement. I am organizing an incredible yoga retreat next year in Rishikesh, India. So put it down February 2021. If you've been craving to take your practice in life to a new level of mastery, this is really your chance to immerse yourself fully in a life-changing yoga retreat at the foothills of DMLA. It's really the birthplace of yoga. You'll experience more profound level of awareness and connection and learn to align with your inner guidance. So if you want to know more or reserve your spot, go to my website, ericabelanger.com or send me an email, erica belanger at gmail.com. Use the promo code if you're ready to sign up COVID before August 31st to save $255 on this retreat. All right, ready? Let's get to our episode of Today with Jay. Hi, Jay. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for reaching out. i um... Happy to have a moment to speak with you.
0: Yeah. So, Jay, can you tell us a bit about yourself for listeners that don't know you, that don't know you very well, um, yourself and your yoga journey?
1: Um, sure. I I started out going to yoga classes in New York City in the early 90s. I was pretty messed up. My mom died when I was 16, and I don't know, I got into yoga because I was a wreck and wanted to feel better. Yeah. And it was really a, a earlier time in yoga. There wasn't as many people into it. It wasn't in gyms yet. There was no two hundred hour trainings yet. There was no internet yet. <laughs> yeah. So
2: we forget about really, that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> the world without di-
2: internet.
1: It was a really different moment. So when I got to yoga, it still had a little bit of its old like hippie roots. Like all the folks who went in the sixties and seventies and eighties mm-hmm. India met gurus and came back had opened up storefronts in manhattan and were doing classes and had altars with the pictures of the gurus and were lighting nag champa, and you could go and i just remember when i got to yoga it was still very much about this idea of like inner peace or enlightenment and that's what i was most interested in
2: Mm -hmm. of
1: course Mm -hmm. It pretty quickly started to uh, rev up, you know, Ashtanga hit the scene, maybe like right around when I started going. And then that sort of changed the game and it became like hotter and sweatier. And I certainly went that direction first. Mm -hmm. And then I got injured pretty early on, just being totally reckless.
0: In your practice or off the mat?
1: Oh yeah, definitely in my practice. I blew out a knee doing mm-hmm. like poses from third series of Shtanga, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was not following, I was not like in the in the tradition and like doing it with the guru. I, I was just learning the sequences and doing them on my own. And some people would say, that's probably why I got hurt. And I would say, well, sometimes I think it's because of the things that we're trying to do with our bodies, but I got hurt for sure. And then, after that, I tried to learn alignment because that's what everyone told me you're supposed to do. Mm. I did the Youngar method for a little while. And I certainly learned a bunch of alignment and a bunch of stuff and a bunch of discipline for sure. But I still had a lot of pain. And frankly, I was still pretty messed up over my mom, which is the reason I got into yoga in the first place. I had kind of like a almost a yoga divorce at one point mm. when I was able to do all of this stuff like handstand presses. And everybody was applauding me for that and saying I was like the advanced guy, but I still felt like shit. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know if I can cuss in your podcast. (laughs) I felt terrible, you know? Um, and I almost left yoga, but I ended up taking this trip to India and I met this teacher there and the thrust of his teaching was to ask me, how do you feel?
2: Mm.
1: Which I couldn't answer because I had no idea. Like I could, do poses and I knew alignment and I could chant Sanskrit, but I had no idea how I felt about anything. And that really changed things for me. And ultimately I found my way to some different teachings through TKV Desikachar mm-hmm. became very inspired by him and what he, and the people that he taught. And then I sort of switched to a self-practice myself and really just gave myself permission to um break a bunch of rules, I guess. There's all these rules. Yeah. <laughs> and that Swami I met India. Basically, I felt like I went to India. Every, I went to India to see if I could find a guru. I didn't find a guru, but I met this teacher who basically said, you get to decide based on how you feel.
0: Mm. That was and radical. Im-
1: it was very radical. I mean, I know now at the time, he didn't speak great English. It was like a tantric viewpoint. Yeah. And I, again, for me, just, at the time in New York and like whatever, 2000, 2001, after I got back from India, 99, actually, I, at that time, there wasn't, there wasn't the same conversations we're having now about proprioception and people deciding what they want to do. You yeah, know what I mean? It was yeah, yeah. a whole different world. So for me to be at home saying, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do, what I think is right. <laughs> you know, it feels like, with making me feel the way I want to feel was a very radical thing to do that I wasn't even, I was scared to admit to anybody. In fact, for a long time I was practicing one way at home, but I was still teaching power of vinyasa flow classes Mm -hmm. because I was too worried that nobody would be into what I was doing at home. And, you know, I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. Yeah. Ultimately I did have a teacher who said, Hey, if you don't teach what you do at home in your class, you're a fraud. and. I thought that was true. (laughs) So I did make a change ultimately. And, you know, those changes were what I needed in order to heal my wounds. Yeah. Um, And ultimately did sort of set me on like a different course. And I became the breath guy. And anybody who was like more injured or wasn't into the sweaty flows, they would send to me. Eventually... I got into some issues because I was only one teaching like that at centers and everybody else was teaching this totally different thing. And so they would send all the beginners to me and I would get them going. And then they would all think they were supposed to graduate to the other thing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that was a little disheartening for me because I always felt like I was kind of up against these expectations about what we were doing and why. And at first I was very, like, not cool about it. I think I casted a lot of aspersions and got myself into a lot of trouble. Ultimately, I found a much more, like, proactive way to, like, get along. (laughs) But eventually I decided to open my own center. So Mm -hmm. in 2007, I opened a yoga center in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And I had that for 10 years. And, you know, I would say for the first seven of those years, did great. Everything was on the up. The rent kept going up, you know. There's that five-year point where you got to renew your lease. So I managed to survive that whatever 30% rent increase that happens in New York every five years or whatever your lease oh is. God.
2: Yeah.
1: So I managed to survive that. And then, you know, we kept pace. Like more people came in, more revenue was coming in. It was like everything was on an upsurge at that time. I was doing two teacher trainings a year, which is really how we survived. Mm-hmm. I would say for the first couple of years, like the classes paid for the center, but pretty soon in they started to not anymore. And then it was the teacher trainings that really made it so we could survive. And then, you know, I had a couple of kids, I got married, I had a couple of kids. I, I remember seven years was great, but that's when I had my second child. And there's like that year period, right after you have a kid where you're kind of in the trenches. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I just lit the center coast. Like I didn't, wasn't really paying much attention. It could run on its own at that point. Yeah. And I lit it coast for like a year. And when I emerged from the baby haze, everything was like on a downturn. It wasn't making enough money. And I was like, oh my God. And I, so I went out and I did a bunch of research. Like what was everybody doing? What have I been missing? And sure enough, everybody had made all these changes that I hadn't made. Like everybody had shortened their classes. I was still doing 90 minute classes. Everybody had switched to 60 and 75 minutes. When I opened the place, I decided I wanted it to be just one thing. I wanted a niche. It's like, I'm not doing lots of flavors.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Just do this thing here. And that worked for a long time. But as there became like, as like the moto yoga opened down the street or whatever, I couldn't compete in the same way with this. That so I actually did add like some, some restorative classes and, some more chair class. You know what I mean? Like I found flavors that were in harmony with what I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, and you know, I made a bunch of changes and it did help. Like it did like stave off the, the downslide. But ultimately that last couple of years was certainly a struggle and I managed to get out. So I, I let someone buy me out of my lease in 2017 and i moved to pennsylvania about an hour and 45 minutes away from new york city with my wife and two kids and like i said that's when i i set of i started doing the live stream classes when i still had the center because i have this business guy i work with my friend partner josh citron and he he was the one he said listen stuff's going online you need to go online and i fought him i was like <laughs> no way man yoga's in person yoga's People to people in the same room, my voice into their ear canals, none of this digital online. And he was like, listen, trust me, it's going to happen. It is happening. And, you know, then when I was really going to be letting go of the center, he said, this is going to be a way for people who you've made connections to over a decade to still potentially have a connection to you, even though you don't live with the same place with them anymore. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I was like, Okay, that sounds like yoga to me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? That's a fair point. <laughs> that sounds like yoga. So, you know, I, I, like I said, when we, well, I mean, maybe before we started the interview, I set up this studio here in Pennsylvania, sort of initially as a live stream podcast studio. Um, I do have a few students who now have started coming to these classes in person, but frankly, this neighborhood that my studio is in, it's not it's a sketch neighborhood. That's why the rent's so low and I can afford it. Uh And it's not like a storefront. Like it's not the center I had in Brooklyn was I think 1500 square feet. I had 42 classes a week, 15 teachers. You know, this is a 600 foot square studio that I pay a dollar for per square foot for the bathroom is down the hall and it's kind of scuzzy (laughs) and it's, it's artist studios, you know, it's not, it's not like a commercial storefront like mm-hmm. we've been doing it in the past. So it, in a way, I launched a few online things when we got the space, which paid for it. So I don't I don't stress to get students into class like I did when I was a yoga center owner for 10 years. You know? Yeah, totally. In any case, I hope that's a long way around uh, to tell you uh, my yoga journey. In terms of the yoga, I would just say that in that 10 years at the center, I did have that teacher training program and I kind of developed an approach to practicing and teaching. It is largely based in the Desikachar teachings in terms of its its breath focus. It's a breath-centered practice. Mm-hmm. It's also got some philosophical bends to it that draw upon some other teachers, the Krishnamurtis, uh, that maybe make it a little different, but ultimately I took those stuff that I learned that was really always taught one-to-one and meant to be a self-practice. And I tried to see if I could put that into a more conventional group yoga Mm -hmm. class context, Mm -hmm. because that's, I had the center. And if I tried to do like the very traditional versions, like Jessica Char did in Brooklyn, people would write me up. Nobody was in, there was an expectation Mm. as to what a yoga class needed to look like. So my challenge was, can I have a yoga class that looks enough like what people are expecting, but still can teach the principles that I think are important. And so, so that's sort of what I've been working on for all these years.
0: There's so many things I want to come back to in your first <laughs>
1: chat. Forgive but, me. I'm uh, rambly today. i Oh, no, you're rambly. awesome.
0: I love it. <laughs> the first thing is, we'll start right there. So how, how does it look? How do you make a practice that is intended to be done on our on your own and you keep the principles and what are those principles that you're talking about? And how do you make that into a group class that is sellable? Like you were saying that is, comes into the expectation of what people are hoping to see.
1: I mean, first thing is we'd have to acknowledge that practicing by yourself at home and going to a group yoga class are not the same thing. Yeah. And in fact, you know, the group yoga class context that most of us have come into learning yoga through has only existed for like 50 or 60 years, essentially. Mm -hmm. Even though everybody knows yoga is whatever thousands of years old, or at least hundreds, (laughs) maybe, right? Depending on who you talk to. But the point being that it is a very modern context, this group class thing that we do. And that ultimately before there was, group yoga classes, if you wanted to learn yoga, you had to go seek out a teacher. And then you had to sort of convince that teacher you were worthy and serious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there was a relationship between you and the teacher, you know? Yeah. Um, So that's really what it's about ultimately in a group class too. Now, what I would say is when there's only me and one other person in a room and I'm only observing that person's practice, and I'm taking in what I'm observing, and they're taking in me, and there's this interchange happening between us, it is almost automatically, if you're paying attention and you're sensitive to this as a teacher, going to adapt that person's individual needs, right? If you're a teacher who knows how to adapt to an individual, and there's just one person in the room, it just, a natural thing that that would happen. And that's why a lot of yoga therapists will say that's what makes yoga therapy yoga therapy because it's one-to-one because it adapts. Now, what I found was I can do that similar thing in a group class. However, it's not the same. And what what I did was made a series of choices. For one, I use a very simple program of asana that I use again and again and again and again and that I repeat. And some people I've debated this with have said, well, that's not individualizing. You should be making different sequences for different people. Mm. I'm of the view that it doesn't really matter the sequence or the poses. And I'm not looking at my group yoga class to be an individualized practice for everybody in the room. I'm looking for my group yoga class to be a resource and a place where people can use all of the tools so that they would know how to individualize their practice. For themselves. For themselves. And you can come to class to learn how to do that with my help, or you can just come to class to do that. (laughs) Like, you have the freedom to make all your own individual choices in my class. And you can see that. In fact, I have this new video that I'm going to put out at some point that shows that, that shows all these different people doing their versions of the same program.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting to watch, probably, for people that are not sure how they can change and modify for themselves.
1: And it's different in a way. What I've learned is like I did another version of this same video and it was just me and me doing like the perfect version Mm -hmm. or even me saying here are different options in my body. There's bias right away. (laughs) It's just not, it actually still is a problem. Like me, my body being the thing that communicates it
2: Mm -hmm.
1: is the issue. So having other bodies and other people in their lives as they are expressing their yoga through the same forms, the same sequence Mm -hmm. is sort of what I'm getting at. And what I would also say to you and anybody who listens to this is personally, for me, having a very set sequence that I've repeated again and again, and it's changed some over the years and you don't have to stick to it. I don't have to stick to it and you don't have to stick to it. But having that actually frees me up to individualized practice a lot more because as soon as the people coming know the sequence, they don't need me so much to even lead them or tell them the, the sequence. I'm kind of queuing and keeping us together as a group sub, but they're able to be practicing on their own. And then I'm actually able to go around and do a lot of the things that I might do or say a lot of the things on a one-to-one level that I would on a, on a one-to-one class anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. So...
1: I found, you know, like I said, simple, repeatable sequences, and a sensibility about practice. Maybe more than anything, is how I've been able to bring, like, what I think of as the principles of like Desikachar Krishnamachar teachings into these group classes. Mm
2: -hmm. And And you think
1: you can be, you can do it. I think you can. Mm
0: -hmm. And you're really teaching people how to self practice as well, how to learn what they need for themselves and carry it back home and show up on their mat without having to have a teacher.
1: That's the whole idea. And what's the value of
0: that for you, like the self-practice itself? I know it was a big part of your yoga journey. Do you think it's essential that people practice on their own? Do you have an opinion on that?
1: I think that – it is essential. <laughs> I don't know how to, I want to not. I don't want to um, say that in a way that makes someone who doesn't have a self practice feel yeah. shamed or you know what I mean. Like I don't like because I think you can have self practice in groups, as I was just describing. Yeah. I'm not saying people can't develop a self practice by themselves, going to group classes, mm-hmm. critical thinking
0: on. and embodiment and yeah, so many I skills mean, that you can still have in a group. I, yeah.
1: And sometimes people don't have the resources. They're not as privileged as me to have some nice space to practice in or something. Mm-hmm. So you know, again, I don't. I don't. But want to there's take value away.
0: to it, is but what we're talking about. A,
1: there is a fundamental difference. Let's say. Okay.
0: So what's that difference? Someone for you? is
1: by. Okay. When someone is by themselves at home.
0: Mm-hmm. Right
1: now, many of us are. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's the time. If you, <laughs> right okay,
1: when somebody is by themselves. Want to build your practice. And they do not have a teacher and they do not have a recording or a video or anything but themselves and maybe a little stretch of floor or a bed or some little space to move in. And they do a practice and they are able to utilize the tools of yoga practice for themselves to actually affect their systems in a way that make you're, you're making a thing because we have, a, I have that same feeling when I say it, right. <laughs> yeah. And you're able to use those tools to like affect your system in a way and have like some empowerment in yourself or a sense of direction in yourself or not just that capacity
0: to self care and to nurture and to
1: just feeling okay. That's what it boils down to me on some level is that like I am okay. I'm okay. Mm. Even when I'm sad, I'm okay. Even when there's a pandemic and everyone's scared, I am okay. I'm okay right now in this moment, I'm talking to you. Heart beating, breath happening, yeah. sun, moon, and stars. I'm okay, <laughs> you know, and that comes to me by way of what I just described: of me being at home, not feeling okay, feeling in panic, feeling uh, like I'm broken, feeling like there's something wrong with me, and then doing simple breathing and moving exercises and changing that.
2: Mm-hmm
1: blows my mind still and it's very difficult to explain that to like the uninitiated right how like people look at these videos i make of me lying on my back and inhaling arms up and exhaling arms down they're like he's not even doing anything they're expecting like a big flashy right and it's hard to explain less is more yes i would agree (laughs) and you know that simple thing it's hard to explain how doing simple breathing and moving helped me heal deep wounds over my mom's death and helps me feel okay. Even when the world is falling apart, it's not an easy thing to articulate how that, what what happens there. um, I do think it has to do with, let's just go to the sources, right? The breathing and moving exercises taught me sustained attention. So my mind wasn't kind of all over the place or dragging me around. Like I can tell my mind, mind I want you to go here. I want you to do this. And I want you to stay with that thing right there where I've asked you to be for as long as I want you to be there. And then I am going to release you from that. And you can go off and think about whatever you want to think. Like that ability to fix and release my attention as like a muscle almost. Yeah. That led to a string of things of more awareness, like me being more aware, me knowing how I feel, like I can actually answer that question that I couldn't answer before, Mm -hmm. even if the answer is I don't know. And ultimately, clearer perception. I think I see things differently because of the stabilization of my mind. Mm -hmm. And in that clearer perception, when I have been able to stop making an effort. Like it's almost this weird paradox where you like make this effort of breathing and moving. Like you have to do something (laughs) so that you then stop doing right. That you lay in your Shavasana Mm -hmm. and in the not doing, which sometimes requires some doing for me to get there.
0: Oh yeah. (laughs) Which is a
1: weird paradox, (laughs) right? I have to do something so I can stop doing. And when I'm not making an effort, I'm not, so subject to all like identifiers about like who or what I I think I am or my gender and my name and my job and all of that kind of goes away. And what I feel is this very profound sense of wonder or awe. And that place of like, like if you were, I don't know, if you ever were watching a sunset or something, or you're at like some, majestic sight of natural wonder or you're like cuddled with a loved one in bed or something and like there's a moment where everything feels totally in harmony you know
0: mm-hmm. is that okayness like, you were talking about it doesn't have to be like explosive yes. joy but just that no. Ha, huh, i'm okay it is
1: it's like an exhale right yeah. and then and then that feeling there of harmony of okayness like in there is where i found healing and where i find a useful perspective that i am able to like look at everything through like a lens and i feel very grateful and like like blessed that mm-hmm. that i see a lot of other people in my life and around me who Don't seem to have something like that. And that's why I'm so passionate about yoga and I do it even though it's such a grind and Mm -hmm. I'm talking to you.
0: (laughs) So those are the what and whys you were talking about before and like that's your definition of what yoga is kind of, yeah? Like what it it is for you, why you practice it.
1: I think – I mean that's my experience. I think there's a difference when you say what is yoga. And like, what's my experience Experience of of yoga yoga right now? Because it's certainly changed over the years. I'm, You know, I just had this podcast come out this this week called The New Yoga with a guy named Rob Walker, who's sort of writing about this. How much, like, I've changed the way that I want to speak about my yoga Mm
2: -hmm.
1: or speak about yoga. Like, it seems like a silly semantic thing that I just did. No, no. When I... But it, it, and for me, it's like the, it's the exercise and practice I'm going through right now as a teacher. Yeah, to get clear about what I think or what I, my experience is. So, you know, what we were talking about, you were asking me, well, what does it look like for you? So I'm just speaking from my experience. Yeah. If we're trying to talk about like broader sense, like what do I think yoga is, like what yoga is, and I've been having all these people on the show to talk about sutras because. All these people have these different interpretations, you know, and all these different assertions about what yoga is. Even in the yoga sutras, it says yoga is different things, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So for myself personally, if I want to get like a little theoretical or something, I, I'm not a big fan of this idea of like yoga means union because the word union for me, and maybe not for everybody it sort of seems like this implication to it, like two things coming together, you know? Yeah,
0: it implies like duality. they're separate. Yeah.
1: They're separate. And then yoga brings them together. And I, I've heard people talk about that in different ways. But for myself, I tend to think of yoga as, a, as like nature more, in a sense, that you can't do it. You know, you don't, you don't make it happen. It doesn't bring things together that are not already together. It doesn't make you into something that you are not already.
0: It's a state.
1: It, yeah, it is a fact. <laughs> it's like the sun in the sky, you know? So it it's not something that, uh, again, has to be accomplished in any way. And sometimes attempting to accomplish it is actually the problem. Mm-hmm. But there's all these practices that have come about through humans and humanity and history that people have found useful (laughs) to help develop more understanding about the nature of existence, essentially, Mm -hmm. and your interrelatedness with all things.
0: I wanna come back to uh the breath that you were talking about a bit earlier and how important it is and how the simplicity of it could be life-changing on the mat at least. Um what do you wish students but teachers and students alike would understand better or differently about the breath?
1: I don't know. I don't I don't wanna give any I don't have like any science lessons to give for instance about breath what i'd say is when you decide that your practice isn't about poses or like what poses you can do or what poses you can't do or getting deeper into a pose and especially if you're like me and you're now in your latter 40s and going to your end ranges causes pain Mm -hmm. so a lot of your practice is about like setting a boundary and like like I never go to my end range anymore. Like if I go to end ranges, I get pain. So There's no I, point I, don't to end, I don't go to end ranges anymore because I have too much mobility in my body, you know, for my own good. Mm-hmm. So when you get to a place where it's no longer about trying to kind of maximize what you can do physically, one of the things that is just there is breathing. The, the movement that is happening is breath. Like your body breathing is movement happening. So even if I'm in a very simple pose and I'm not at all challenging it, like I'm not pushing it, my muscles to go farther in it, I'm moving. There's breathing happening in my body. And that movement of breath in relationship to whatever shape I've put myself in or whatever movement I'm doing, it becomes the focus. And that's what Desikachar teaches too. Like you never do asana or vinyasa without pranayama. Like it's asana is pranayama. And specifically, I'm an ujjayi pranayama guy. It's sort of like a primary technique. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to... I'm not like, again, it's not a dogma. And I think there are occasions where you might let go of it. But attention to breath and body to that is my motto. So instead of like in the old days where I'd be like leading a vinyasa sequence, and be pretty fast, you know? Like if you were standing outside and listening to the cue... And trying to breathe along with inhale, up dog, exhale, down dog, you'd be hyperventilating. There's no way. So instead of like moving with a, a flow or like a aerobic movement, and then trying to put breath on top of that and it being a battle, you flip it and you start by making breath long and smooth. And then the movements go to that. And that's why after I let go of my center and I started teaching at other places again, I became the slow flow guy
2: mm-hmm.
1: because my vinyasas were so slow because yeah. I was just making it about long breath. It was, to me, in my mind, it's not about tempo. Like, I don't, it could be faster or slower. It's about breathing mm-hmm. and then the movement being synced to that. But and the I breath, com-
0: that- it's not the breath sync to the, it's not the movement sync to the breath. Yes, it's it's not the breath sync to the movement, but the movement sync to the breath. Sorry, I took exactly. a second like to put you, that together. You
1: start with breath, and then the body goes to that. And so, if you lose breath, you pull back on physicality. So breath is there first, and it's it's for me, it's a very um, practical idea in that. And you're a teacher, so you can I'm sure I understand this. And I don't know how many of your listeners are teachers, but you know, if somebody is bringing attention inwards to their breath. And they have a feeling of support from that. And that's a longer conversation because Desikachar Kachar has some interesting teachings about breath and banda. Mm-hmm. So breath focus and breath pattern actually becomes a way of stabilizing. Uh, so when somebody is bringing their attention in words to breath, and that becomes like a stabilizing thing for them, and then they're only engaging their body to that in a very measured way, where they are not overwhelmed, they are not overtaxed, they can smile at me while they're doing it. That's where I think we can feel more confident that someone's not hurting themselves, that they're operating from a place of awareness. Mm-hmm. Their experience is you're doing your yoga, not like yoga's happening and you're struggling to keep up with it or it's pulling you along, but you steer the ship. Yeah. And so getting someone to breath first and then body to that, I find is like the building block of. Someone really feeling like, oh, I know how to set a boundary. I know how fast or slow to go. I know how much I'm going to go into this or not. Like it's, it's a bu- building of awareness. And if you want to use the fancy words, proprioception and introception, those are the, the catchwords that everybody's using. That I never knew those words, but that's what I was doing. I was yes. just like figuring out how does this feel? You know, do I feel supported in this? Do I not feel supported in this? Mm-hmm. And coming up with my own answers to those questions.
0: Yeah. The breath and that awareness are super helpful to help prevent injuries because you know and you're in constant relationship with your boundaries. Like any time I got injured, it's because I was either missing some awareness in the moment or I was not as present or right? Like it's harder to get injured if you're really into presence and into your breath and
1: following that. Well, what I would say is there's some folks I've known over the years who they like a fast flow. They don't want to go slow. And they get into a zone. You know, you get your heart rate up. Yeah. Your mind spreads out. You get into like a flow state yeah. sometimes. they, And that's a cool thing. I'm not trying to say that's not good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's just something very different than what I think of as my yoga practice. Like I might do other things to give me that kind of experience, whether that's running or whatever other things I might do. For me, my yoga practice is much more about this idea of facility with my mind and perception and just how I feel about who I am and life, you know, and having it be more specifically about that just changes it. Like I think of all of the things I do in my life. And this is a big conversation I've been having with people because the first time in my life in my forties, I started doing like a little bit of like squats with a weight. So I never done any of that kind of stuff, but I wanted to try things because my body was hurting and I my tools weren't working the same way that they mm, used to, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. So I needed new tools. And I got to admit, doing these freaking squats with the weight feels good and makes my back feel better. So I consider that, like, in a broad sense, all part of me taking care of me, which is yoga. Mm-hmm. My Hatha yoga practice is very specific. Mm-hmm. Asana pranayama meditation ritual is different than what I'm doing when I do the squats with the weight. And it, what makes it different is about breath and attention and perception and those other things I said. Mm-hmm.
0: And a lot of people, like you were saying, assume that that's an easier practice. Like you were saying in the beginning that the beginners would start with you and then want to go to what else is out there. But I know you also have a workshop called Gentle is the New Advance. So how, how is gentler or how gentler can be more advanced as a practice? Is it because of that focus that we have time to be with the breath, be with the mind, kind of self-study more? Or how do you see that?
1: I mean, I think it's just a different sort of challenge.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: Gentle is a new advance, is my attempt to make simple, mindful, therapeutically oriented practice that you do by yourself at home as sexy as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just, you know, like what, and again, everything, we're at a moment of reset right now. So, nobody knows what things are going to look like. But up until now, you know, the tight body fitness orientation is what sells the most
2: mm-hmm.
1: or teacher trainings where people feel like they're going to get the five points to down dog or whatever. Like, and I've done that. I've done those trainings. I'm not trying to knock anybody, you know, Yeah. but that's what was selling the most. So trying to sell a subtle and nuanced inquiry into the nature of your existence that you really can only do by yourself at home. <laughs> not an easy it's not an easy task. So my gentles a new advanced thing is really trying to just see if I can flip the, like reframe the conversation some. Mm-hmm. This is basically what I've been doing for years is how do I reframe this so that I'm not not knocking anything else, but trying to present what I think is really valuable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is and, that what- earlier, and earlier in this conversation, we talked about, Um, relationships at the very beginning I talked about before there were group classes and it was about a relationship between teacher and student and I've been like calling out into the void about yoga teachers and yoga studio models and more direct relationships even online like instead of doing things on Facebook you know on a Facebook live like having those emails on an email list and having a direct connection to people and just connecting to people website to website instead of through portals or whatever that, that it, it, and, and right now it's the teacher student relationships that are sustaining everything Mm. because nobody can go anywhere. No, there's no physical spaces. That's true. It is quite literally the relationships. So, so teachers that are still doing okay is because they've developed relationships to people and we're supporting each other we're going on each other's podcasts and we're trying to help and do whatever we can, you know? And I just, to me, I think, I I just think that, uh, I've become more and more interested in what I think of as like depth versus reach that actually a smaller amount of people who are really into what I'm doing and, and kind of going there with me and inquiring is better on many levels, even financially. Like it's more sustainable than trying to do like Instagram out and get like more followers or whatever, which actually is not real connection and not doesn't always make you more money. In fact, very rarely does. Mm-hmm.
0: So your desire of reframing the conversation and focusing on what's valuable to you, is that part of why you started the podcast when you did?
1: I think so. I mean, I, it was first a blog, and I, I've been continuing to write that blog ever since. I'm mm-hmm. like the only one who still blogs, I think. you really I, good
0: stuff on there. So guys, you can check it out if you want to read some. Well,
1: and also I should mention just yesterday I announced that uh, I have a new podcast too that's just the blogs starting at the beginning from 2006. Mm. So it, they're short. It's not like my podcast, which is like long form talks, like we're doing whatever, but it it's just like five to 10 minute reads of these blogs they've written. But it started out me writing these blogs because no one was talking about things that I thought were interesting. Like when you read Yoga Journal or like yeah. just... Like I remember someone, I was like bashing Yoga Journal. In fact, one of the earliest blogs I ever wrote was called Hanumanasana is overrated because of something I saw in a yoga journal magazine. And I kept kind of railing about it. And someone was like, well, Hey, if you don't see what you think should be written, you should write it. And I was like, okay, you're right. I'm going to write what I think we should be talking about. <laughs> and so that's basically what I started doing. And it was always me like, can I figure out the zeitgeist? Can I put my finger on what's going on? You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I've just been doing that for over 10 years now. And then at some point, the internet really changed and the blogosphere switched to Facebook. Stuff got ugly, honestly. And just, we all know what it's like now or what it was like. It's changed since the pandemic, but I think I soured on social media. I got off social media about a year and a half ago, um, and the blog just started to felt limited. Like I couldn't get to the kind of nuance I wanted to in 800 words with mm-hmm. a clickbaity title.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> so I started getting into podcasts just in general, and it kind of got me off TV. Like I enjoyed listening to things. I could still do things. It would stimulate thought in me. Mm-hmm. It would provoke inspiration in me, rather than kind of like the numb out of TV. So I just was kind of getting into podcasts. I really liked Mark Maron's podcast WTF, and I, at one point, I just thought, you know what, I want to be like the Mark Maron in the yoga world. I want to have real converse, unscripted conversations about stuff. I want to get teachers off script. That was my main thing. Mm. Cause the few interviews that I'd ever seen with teachers or that I had done, I'd done plenty yeah. of interviews. They're just people send a set of questions and everybody prepares some answers and we all do our best to like do it in a conversational way. We're teachers. But, we know how to do that. And we all got shtick. We all got stuff that we've said many times as teachers. And some of it's good. And I want to hear some of that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But for me personally, where it gets most interesting, where I like podcasting the most is when I'm not on script. When you and I are having a real conversation because you didn't send me any questions. So I didn't know what we were going to talk about until we started doing this.
2: Mm -hmm. And there's
1: something alive about that. And that's Mm -hmm. what I find most- Yeah. And I think for me, I also, from the very beginning, started- had in mind that I was going to use the intros and outros as just like my own soapbox. Like I just wanted to be able to speak. Like when you're in, when I'm in class and I'm just talking, it's different than when I'm trying to pick words and writing. So to like speak extemporaneously Mm. and freely and like kind of let my thoughts flow and let them be raw and kind of unfiltered instead of going through this lens of, oh, blog writing and, oh, is this going to, are people going to give me mean comments yeah, if I yeah. write this and like all that other stuff that comes this is a lot more freedom. Internet. It was free. And I just wanted, I was, I wanted to practice radical transparency. I wanted to take that idea of yoga teachers have this like image that they're putting out of like my best life. Right. And mm-hmm. here's what I ate this morning or whatever. Like this image of yoga teachers, I know not to be true. Mm-hmm. I know we're all fucked up, forget my <laughs> language, you know, like we're all real grimy, messed up people like everybody else. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to sh- do that. So when I first started the podcast, like if you go back at the beginning and listen to those intros, they are raw. And I was like in pain and I was like admitting it. I was like, I'm in pain. And I know a lot of other yoga teachers are in pain. I was getting emails from other yoga teachers saying, yes, me too. And like, just like tearing down like this facades. And just, I remember my wife being like, what are you doing? You know, I was like talking about our relationship because we got in a fight. You know what I mean? She was like, what are you doing? And I just thought, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of this.
0: I'm just being open, vulnerable, honest.
1: I'm just going to rip it off and be like, here you go. And I don't care. I love it. I feel better. If I don't have anything to hide, if I just tell you all my misgivings and all my flaws and I just own them all, yeah. I feel better. And so the podcast was always about that for me. So over the years, people who followed along have heard me when I sold the center and I was freaking out. When I was in pain, and I didn't know how to get out of pain. Um, when I was you know, telling people how much money I make, the actual numbers, you know what I mean? Just like doing things that you're are taboo and that you're not supposed to do
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. is something that I, I always, I started doing with the podcast and I continue to do because I just, it's the thing that gives it. It's why I think people are listen to it because I'm not.
0: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's what's unique and special about you and that openness and vulnerability allows people to connect with you in a different way.
1: I'm hoping, <laughs> <laughs> although I have found that to be true. I think it's different for people who just kind of jump in now and again, they can get a taste, but there are some people who, who literally been yeah. listening from the very beginning and heard every episode. And I've never met them before. And when I do, it's like, we're friends. Like yeah. they, they, they feel like, feel they, know like they know me totally, and they kind of do. I don't know them, but I am immediately at ease because
2: mm-hmm.
1: if they've listened for that long, like, they they don't think I'm an ass, you know. what I mean, like, or they maybe they yeah. do think I'm an ass, but they still like me enough to you there's, know keep listening. There's so I something don't know. Like, there, <laughs> I feel at ease, like I'm among a friend, because you know, if they didn't like me or whatever, then yeah. they would stop listening.
0: So your podcast is called J Brown Yoga Talks. Um, I know I can't really ask you, like, do you have a favorite episode or a favorite guest? It's like impossible to pick, especially when you've been doing it for such a long time. But is there episodes that come up to mind? that stand out for you for any reason? Like either they affected you uh, or your perspective on yourself or your life or yoga in a profound way, or maybe they changed the way you podcasted. Or, or, so it's not about this one is the best one, but do you have some that come up to mind that were special to you for some reason?
1: I mean, I they're all really special. Yeah. And I I've come to actually sometimes appreciate – like the grassroots teachers that nobody's ever heard of more than uh, like big names that have come on to what I would say is for me, there are some really significant conversations in that mm-hmm. archive feed. You know, some of the, like I had a list of people that I wanted to speak to when I started, and I've almost gone to all, of them, but there's a few. And <laughs>
0: yeah, same for I'm me. still
1: trying. I'm still trying. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't think I'm going to get stumbled. But in any case, I think that there's a few conversations with like, like that I had a conversation with Eric Schiffman that was, that was really important. Some of the early conversations, like the first one I ever had with Don Afari, I know I've, I've had since ones that were equally as important, but there's one with Rama Jyoti Vernon. And if people don't know that name, she's the woman who like started what became yoga lions. And
2: mm. there's
1: just been a few where I started the podcast partly when I was leaving the center to figure out how the hell did we get here? How the hell did I get here? You know, it started in my early twenties. It's this underground thing. Now I'm in my forties and I got two kids and it's this big mainstream thing. So kind of tracking back the early New York scene and the way the studios went and the, and now this new evolution of yoga, we're all talking about inclusivity and using invitational language and so the conversations have been like me filling in gaps. Mm. Oh, oh, that's where that person got that from. Oh, like <laughs> these puzzle pieces together yeah. that have helped me feel like a clear. And so, you know, I just put out a new post blog post yesterday that has to do with this new situation where we're in, where everybody's jumped online and what are the implications of that and stuff like that. And I feel like my sense of, oh, what's the trajectory or where we're going or what might happen is all rooted in sort of looking back over this last decade and a half and sort of tracking it. And that's mm-hmm. what the podcast is. So I don't know. That was like not a very uh, specific answer to your no, no, question. you totally about Which answered. episodes do you listen? I sort of feel like you got to – you could just at this point – uh, they are a lot of them evergreen. So you go and you look and the teachers, the names of the people that you were intrigued by lead to other ones. Yeah. Or if you want to get really crazy and you're all on home, you just go from the beginning. And that's, I gotta be a real trip. Although I almost don't want people because I'm embarrassed. I in know. I feel the I, same
0: way. I'm like, don't listen to the first one. <laughs> just start
1: this- <laughs> you can understand. I mean, it's a learning process for <laughs> totally. me. I've become a better listener. I mean, in the early time I was always interrupting people and it, it wasn't just because I was a bad listener. It's partly because I was a bad listener, but also, you know, there's a pressure, as you know, to like keep a conversation moving. And is there going to be a gap? And sometimes the person's looking for you to be filling the gap. So you want to keep it going. So, and also for me, as I mentioned, if somebody's on script, like if I've heard them say that on another podcast before, I'll let them go for a bit, but then I'm going to interrupt them. I don't, I don't want people to come on and just say the same things that they've said a bunch of times before. There's
0: no point. Then you're just, you know, copy pasting.
1: Sometimes if it's like a teacher who's like a big teacher, or even like somebody who's maybe not a big teacher, but they've got a viewpoint on something that I think's interesting. And I know they're giving me their spiel. I'll let them give it, give us your spiel. Like, go ahead. I want to hear it. I want, I want your spiel yeah. right now. Okay. But the whole conversation can't be spiels. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there's a time for totally. it. And some people get mad. I get comments like you interrupt everybody too much and I just want to, they want to get taught, you know, and that's cool, but go pay for a course with that person. You know, <laughs> I think for me, the podcast is a lot about seeing if I can connect with somebody.
2: Uh huh.
0: Yeah. And sometimes you get surprises, like you expect to connect and you don't, you expect to not really connect and you do. And it's so fun. <laughs>
1: It's true. It is. And I, I have come to a place where I don't I don't go in with too much expectation because yeah, totally. like you said, you really don't know what you're going to get. Uh, although now I think because I've had the show for so long and most, of, if not all the people who are recording with me have listened to my show before, it's, it's changed that some.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. People
1: kind of know what they're in for. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know that I start recording from the get-go and You know, although there's still that moment every once in a while, which is like my favorite moment on the show where someone will say, are we recording? And I go, yeah, is that okay? And they go, yeah, okay. And then to me, I love that moment because it shows that we were actually having a real conversation.
0: Yes. Yes, totally. And we're going
1: to continue with it.
0: Uh (laughs) Um, We're going to have to wrap it up already, but if there's anything you want to add before we finish, if there's like one takeaways you'd like people to leave with today, what would that be?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't know what anybody should take away. They should take away whatever they took away. Great. Um, I wouldn't want to dictate takeaways. That's an interesting thing in terms of selling workshops because everybody wants to know what am I going to get from the workshop? Right. And if you don't know what people are going to get, or you don't want to dictate what people are going to get, how do you write that damn description for your workshop? I would say, I, I just want to encourage everybody out there to stay safe and, maybe utilize the moment as an opportunity. As I said earlier, I do think self-practice is the heart of the matter. And I don't know. I, I even second-guessed that. I don't want to tell anybody what to do. Do whatever you think is best. Okay. And yeah, check out the show. the, That's the, the Yoga away. Talks is out there, and Yoga Thoughts is the new one. So oh, there's Jay Brown good. Talks, which I is like the platform. And there's Jay Brown Yoga Thoughts, which we're calling the blog cast So that's out there. And then, yeah, other than that, just holding it down. And
0: And I'll put all your info in the show notes and all the links to what you do. But in the meantime, what's the best place for people to find you? Is it the podcast or is it the website if they want to reach out?
1: Yeah, go to jbrownyoga.com. Everything is there. But I guess I feel like I don't want the last thing I say to your listeners to be, go to my website to like check out my stuff. I feel like as yoga teachers, we should try to offer something more, but then I feel on the spot. (laughs) I guess that earlier thing that we said about attention and clarity of perception and sense of direction, one of the other things that I've really been working on in practice that I guess I'll offer to anybody is this idea that you would develop a headspace where you can choose how you wish to respond to something rather than react. And the moment for me is always in tree pose. So my directive for people in tree pose is that if you fall over, you have to practice smiling or chuckling about it. So that you can choose what's going to happen if you fall over and then execute it, even though you might be totally annoyed or whatever, I've had about a bad day. Even mm-hmm. if you fake it a little, <laughs> you know, that that you develop this space where you're not just reacting, but you're choosing how you want to respond. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what has been helping me more than anything right now in this moment of uncertainty where I don't have control and it's scary to say, okay, I can choose how I wish to respond to this moment. And that is an empowering place to be even in tragedy. So for whatever that's worth.
0: Well, that's a way to finish. Thank you so much for your time. It was very pleasurable to chat with you today. Very great. Cool,
1: Erica. Great to meet you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen. And if you wanted to continue, don't forget to visit patreon.com/slash on and off your mat. You can donate or you become a premium member and you get your hands on all our exclusive content, including all the Zoom recording classes if you'd like. Check out the show notes to find more info about our guests of today, Jay Brown, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Before we go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba, working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time.